us pray. Bet you never thought you'd hear those words from this podium. Actually, if you did pray, that is probably what you would pray for. (laughs) Let me back up a little bit. Some of you do pray. I know because you say you do in congregational surveys. In a 2012 survey just last year, while only 2% of respondents from West said that they pray often, 24% said they pray sometimes. And I know because you come and tell me, usually in my office with the door closed. I suppose that it's similar to how people tell their Christian pastors that they don't pray. A little bit guilty, not quite sure how I'll take it. So I want to start by saying, it's okay to pray. It's also okay not to pray, and that probably covers more of you. Actually, some of you have very big feelings about prayer, and they're not positive ones. And that's okay, too. It's okay to pray. It's okay not to pray. You're okay. I'm okay. Okay. So wait, why are we talking about prayer? It's a valid question, I think, in a humanist community and more specifically in a non-theistic community, which is often how we describe ethical culture, non-theistic. The idea that questions about God and metaphysic are up to the individual and not really what we talk about together here. And ethical culture is not the only non-theistic religion out there. Many forms of Buddhism are non-theistic and other Eastern traditions. We have a different emphasis in ethical culture on ethics, not surprisingly, actually, on how to behave, how to be with each other. That's often how I describe the tradition to others who don't know it, that that we're a religious tradition that's focused on how to act and, and how to be with each other here in the world. So why is this topic of prayer part of the conversation? I think I think we've taken the tact that, that those of us that pray, or say we do on surveys anyway, or in my office with the door closed, well, if you pray or if you don't, it's your own business, and not part of what we bring when we're here together. But the truth is, of course, that our own business has to do with who we are, our own selves in some ways. And so I wonder if there isn't room for a little conversation about what that means to us, to each of us differently and and similarly. And I will say that this platform has gotten me the most, um, the most, I'm really looking forward to what you have to say comments as any platform that I've had, I think. It's possible that some of those folks are, um, it could be roughly translated as, I'm really looking forward to hearing you step in it. <clears throat> but that's okay too. And I've had many people say that they really pray that it goes well. So I appreciate those prayers. Thank you. Yes, it's good. Well, the truth is that prayer is part of human experience all around the world and over many thousands of years, prayer of one kind or another. I actually like the way the writer Anne Lamott defines it. How many of you have read some Anne Lamott? She's so funny. She's so true, you know. I just love the way she writes. So here she is in a recent book called Help, Thanks, Wow, which is all about prayer. And she starts out at the very beginning of the book. 
You may, in fact, be wondering what I even mean when I use the word prayer. It's certainly not what TV Christians mean. It's not for display purposes like plastic sushi or neon. (laughs) Prayer is private, even when we pray with others. It is communication from the heart to that which surpasses understanding. Let's say it is communication from one's heart to God, or if that is too triggering or ludicrous a concept for you, to the good. I liked that when I got to that part. I thought, oh, we're going to be able to read some Annie Lamott together. (laughs) To the good, the force that is beyond our comprehension, but that in our pain or supplication or relief, we don't need to define or have proof of or any established contact with. Let's say it's what the Greeks call the really real. What lies within us, beyond the scrim of our values, positions, convictions, and wounds. Or let's say it is a cry from deep within to life or love, with capital L's. End quote. Anne Lamott is trying here, I think, to open up prayer as broadly as possible. To, to start with the idea, to, to start to break open the idea that it's not necessarily something that's dependent on your belief in an out there, in a something out there. And we'll play a little bit with that idea later and whether we think it's true and right. But what Lamad is right about and what I think we see across different world traditions is that every world religion has some kind of spiritual practice some kind of silence or meditation, a turning inward. But prayer, you know, it's a reasonable question, I think. Isn't prayer itself only in theistic traditions? Well, I think it depends how convinced you are by Anne Lamott's kind of open definition of prayer. And I think, too, the answer for many of us has to do with what kind of prayer we're talking about. I told you that the name of Lamott's book was Help, Thanks, Wow. And then the subtitle, because you have to have a subtitle or it's not a serious book. The (laughs) subtitle is The Three Essential Prayers. Help, Thanks, Wow. The Three Essential Prayers. And as I read this book, she starts with help, but then she gets to thanks and wow. As I read the book, I kept thinking that for us in a humanistic tradition and a non-theistic congregation, that thanks and wow were kind of the easy part to get our mind around, to get our arms around. That the lines between prayer and meditation and just feeling begin to melt away a lot sooner with thanks and wow. Thanks is the act of practicing gratitude, of noticing, naming that we're grateful. I've been talking recently with a a visitor to Wes who calls himself an atheist who prays. He says he's an atheist who prays daily to a non-existent God, and he's been writing about it. So it's really been a great conversation. And so he sent me some of his writing and said that I could share with you how he feels about his, his regular practice of prayer to a non-existent God. That's how he would describe it. And he says, A practice of gratitude is like a maintenance regimen for our appreciation of the good things in life. We can appreciate these without gratitude, but the appreciation deteriorates. If we keep getting the same good things day after day, it's boring. We take it for granted. We start feeling that this is our due, that we've earned it. The good things in life lose their power to give us pleasure when they are not actively appreciated. They wither or become alienated as we neglect them. 
Anne Lamott speaks, I think, to that same idea, to the importance of gratitude in our lives. When she writes, gratitude begins in our hearts and then dovetails into behavior. And here's where I think it starts to get to, to a tradition like ours, where we're about how to behave, how to be in the world, right? It begins in our hearts and then dovetails into behavior, she goes on. It almost always makes you willing to be of service, which is where the joy resides. It, that's gratitude. It means you are willing, this is Annie Lamont, you are willing to stop being such a jerk, When you are aware of all that has been given to you in your lifetime and in the past few days, it is hard not to be humbled and pleased to give back. I think that her idea about the way the practice of gratitude, of saying thanks, changes our behavior, it gets to the idea that I think is really central, that the act of prayer, any kind of spiritual practice, any kind of introspection or centering, is mostly about changing us. And we'll talk a little more about that later, but it's mostly about what happens to us when we practice it. So this idea of thanks and gratitude, I think it's something that we can connect with pretty easily. You know, we have a moment that's just wonderful, and we say, wow, thanks, world. That was great that that just happened to me. Thanks to each other, but thanks also to the to the trees out there and the sun. There's a, a wonderful children's song that I sing sometimes that's on a CD that we listen to in the car and that's called Mahalo. Lori Berkner sings it. And, and Mahalo, I think, is Hawaiian for thanks. And it's just Mahalo for the air, Mahalo for the trees and the sun, Mahalo, thanks. So that's something that I can pretty easily get to, thanks. And wow, too. It's not so far, actually, from thanks to wow in many ways. And for a lot of us, I'm thinking about our many folks who are either going to get up right at noon to go down to the climate rally, but they're joining a whole bunch of West people who are already down there and who are rallying to stop the pipeline and rallying to stop climate change and global warming. But I hope that behind that rallying, that it comes out of, wow, what a nice world. Wouldn't it be nice to, you know, I don't know, keep it? Wow. A response we have when we look at the sunset or at the ocean or at the people who love us and are around our table or at a little tiny baby, you know, the miracle of a person that's just so small. Wow. I love how the poet Joy Harjo puts it. She opens a poem with the line, to pray you open your whole self. That's what wow is for me, opening your whole self, just being able to say, whew, wow. Or in the words that I shared this morning in our opening, that sense of being so small and the earth is so big, you look up at the sky and the stars, wow. So thanks and wow, I think we get there. I think we say them often enough. And the reason, or one reason, that thanks and wow may be easier for us is that they aren't about what we're expecting back when we say thanks or wow. They're just about our experience in the moment, about acknowledging our gratitude and our amazement and our wonder. And so in that way, they don't require an object of prayer. You can say thanks just just to the trees for being there. 
Anne Lamott quotes Matisse, the painter, in saying what she thinks is the most helpful definition of prayer or understanding about prayer. And here's what he says. I don't know whether I believe in God or not. I think, really, I'm some sort of Buddhist. I like that. I might be some sort of Buddhist, too. I don't know. I think, really, I'm some sort of Buddhist, but the essential thing is to put oneself in a frame of mind which is close to that of prayer, end quote. With thanks and wow, I can get to that frame of mind more easily. I can see how the practice of it helps me to be different in the world, helps me to behave differently. A frame of mind which is close to that of prayer. How that frame of mind makes me more grateful, more amazed, more full of wonder, more quiet, more able to be present. So thanks and wow, but what about help? That place that Anne Lamont starts. Before we even get to help, which is I think one of the trickier pieces in a humanistic community, that prayer of help, I want to take a sideline. Because there are some folks in the room, I imagine, I may be wrong, but I imagine, who are still back at the beginning of this platform. They didn't actually even come with me through thanks and wow, and they're definitely not going to be there for help. They might pretend they're going to the climate rally so they could leave, but I think I'll be done before then, so tough luck. So some folks are still back at the beginning of the platform before thanks and wow. Folks who are wondering why we're even thinking about this, folks who are getting a little bit itchy, who feel itchy not just when they are asked to think about prayer for themselves, but even when others say... Oh, I'll pray for you, folks who feel itchy even then. It's possible that there are some people like that in this room this morning. I don't know. Well, actually, my dad's here, so I do know. (laughs) Ethical culture leader Randy Best tells the story of having a major bike accident. Uh, Really quite terrible. He was in the hospital for some time. And he talks about the many people who told him afterward or during that he was in their prayers. Here's what he says. Being the subject of others' prayers used to be a problem for me. In my younger, more militant atheist days, I might have made a comment about the uselessness of prayer. Side note, that might not be the nicest thing to say to somebody if they say that they're going to hold you in their (laughs) prayers. Oh, I think prayer is useless. So, but he, but, you know, but sometimes we feel that way. So, so that's what he might have said in his younger days. And he goes on. Time and experience have mellowed me, somewhat anyway. I believe that deliberative thought is generally a good thing, Randy says. Prayer can be seen as a form of deliberative thought. Prayers may contain good wishes for someone else. These expressions of compassion and concern are also good things. Nowadays, my response to someone saying that they were concerned for me and included me in their prayers is likely to be something along the lines of, I am grateful for your concern. So many of us at West might be in the place that Randy is, maybe in the place he got to, I'm grateful for your concern, maybe still on the place where we have to kind of bite our tongues when someone says they'll pray for us. I like the way he describes it, though. Prayer as deliberative thought. Isn't that a nice phrase, deliberative thought? It makes me think of the Quaker form of prayer, the way Quakers talk about prayer, which is that they'll hold you in the light. I like that too. You know, light can mean lots of things. 
different things for different people. But it sounds nice to be held in the light, in the sunshine, or in the warmth, to know that I'm held in someone's heart. Sometimes I feel that this kind of prayer, holding someone in the light, holding someone in my heart, is actually the one that I need to practice the most. Although not for people that I'm worried about or people that had accidents. But you know that, that suggestion that we pray for our enemies? We're not actually, as it turns out, supposed to be praying that bad things happen to them. <laughs> I'm really pretty sure about that. And so the practice of holding in your heart, my practice of holding in my heart someone that I struggle with, sometimes I think that's the most important kind of prayer that I do. Forget about thanks and wow. Here's how my colleague Paige Getty, a Unitarian Universalist minister in Columbia, described that experience. Paige describes herself as an agnostic who wonders. She says, Recently, a trusted friend encouraged me to pray for a family member with whom I had been feeling particularly challenged. At that point, I was pretty much desperate for anything that would ease some of the tension in that relationship. So I did start praying. I wasn't praying for a particular outcome. I was just directing a deliberate kind of thoughtful compassion. I just noticed, just like Randy said, a deliberate kind of thoughtful compassion. Maybe it was love in their specific direction. And wouldn't you know, a shift did happen in that relationship. And I'm just about 100% certain, Paige goes on, 100% certain that it's not because God said, oh, Paige Getty just prayed for there to be less tension between her and you know who. Let me take care of that right now. No, of course not. It's because my intention matters, because my love matters, because I prayed, I changed. And when any one of us changes, the entire dynamic is likely to shift, end quote. That gets, I think, a little bit to that piece about prayer being about us. And Anne Lamott talks about that in her book, too, how many sermons she's heard in Christian churches and in other places that, that prayer changes us. The act of praying changes how we behave, how we feel, how we are with each other. Sometimes, though, it's not our hearts that need to shift. Sometimes we feel really that the whole world needs to shift. Those moments when we're stuck or when we're grief-struck or when the bottom has fallen out from underneath us. This is when some people would pray, help And this, I think, is where it gets hard for us, where it gets tricky from a humanistic context to figure out what to do, to figure out what help could mean to us. I was talking about this recently with a member of Wes as I was preparing for this platform, and he said that that one reason praying help and praying in general for this person, one reason that it didn't work for him was that it it was the idea that we weren't taking personal responsibility for our lives. And I think that's really right for many of us. In a a movement that teaches empowerment and, and personal growth, that teaches the importance of human responsibility both in our own lives and in a really grand scale in the world that we as humanity need to figure out this world together, It may feel like it doesn't make much sense to just say, help, I don't know, 
what to do here, help. And then, too, I think we get to that question about whether there needs to be an object for our prayers. You know, with thanks and wow, we can be thanking the universe and the stars and the trees and saying wow at the world around us. But unless, I guess, we want to build like a treehouse or something, there's not much help, I can say, to those things. If we're saying help, I wonder in any way, doesn't that mean that we think there is something out there, something that will swoop in and take care of the world? And if we don't think that there's something that will do that, if we don't think there's a God that will do that, or if our understanding of God isn't the kind of God that does that, then why would we say it? Help. One answer, of course, is that we are each other's help in a community like this. And I think that's a true answer, powerfully true and beautifully true. We see that in our caring for each other in practical ways like casseroles and in the ways of presence and love. Help, we say sometimes, just to each other. And as we say it out loud, someone else can hear and step in. But there are times, you know, in any life, I've had them, when it doesn't seem as though anybody could help. A casserole isn't going to make it better. Even sitting with me isn't going to make it better. When we feel that we might be almost beyond help, and that, I would say, is when we need to cry out the most. When I'm counseling people sometimes, and they tell me they want to, you know, move beyond how they're feeling. They want to get to fixing it, to, to getting things to feel better. Shouldn't they be feeling better already? How can they get themselves to, to be okay with this, this new disease that they have? I sometimes say, you know, you'll, you'll get there, and it's important to find a way to integrate this into your life. But don't forget first the importance of lament, the importance of articulating the loss, of crying out beyond articulation in moments of heartbreak and confusion. It's in those times when the bottom falls out that I hear most often the whispered confessions. You know, sometimes I pray. Twelve-step programs, I think, have identified this need And atheists and agnostics often struggle with how to respond to that question of a higher power that's asked for in 12-step programs. But I think the more powerful piece may be not what we do with that higher power, how how we create something that works for us, but the more powerful piece may be the giving up, the articulation of help. I'm lost. I need something, and I don't know how to make it happen, and I don't even know what it is. Help. Our ability to say that, to just say help sometimes, even if we don't have any idea where that help is going, that's such a vital part of a religious community, of a human life, to be able to say You know, I don't think I can take personal responsibility for this. I'm not sure anybody can. Help. When I say help, I don't expect something to happen in the world. But so often, even the saying of it opens up a little piece of me 
It helps me to settle into my grief or settle into my fear, settle into the reality that I don't know what comes next. For me, it's a way of saying that I know I just might not be able to fix this something in my life. Help. Anne Lamott describes the help prayer as taking ourselves off the hook. Here's what she says. When you get your hooks out of something, it can roll away, down its own hill, away from you. It can breathe again. It got away from you and your tight, sweaty grip and your stagnant dog breath. (laughs) The torture of watching you do somersaults and listening to you whine, what if, and wait, wait, I have one more idea. So when we cry out help, she goes on, or whisper it into our chests, We enter the paradox of not going limp and not feeling so hopeless that we can barely walk. And we release ourselves from the absolute craziness of trying to be our own or other people's higher powers. I wonder in the end if help isn't almost the same thing as wow. As you stand there looking up at the the stars and you're so small and the world is so big, Wow, and help. I'm just so small, and the world is so big, and the stars are so beautiful. Help, and wow. In the end, I think maybe that's what prayer is, all of them. Help, and thanks, and wow, and anything else you can imagine. They're an opening to something larger, opening up our minds to the world, to the universe, to the deep within or the deep without, to the deep perhaps in each other. Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, he founded it in 1876. He said this about prayer in 1918. Among the advantages of prayer is often mentioned this, that in it the soul reaches out toward its source and in in so doing wonderfully recruits its spiritual energy. It finds, ethically speaking, its second wind. It reaches down beneath its utmost strength to find an increment of strength not previously at its disposal. The question, he goes on, is whether this increment of strength cannot be obtained more surely and to better purpose in another way, namely, by concentrating attention, by concentrating attention on the spiritual need of the fellow beings with whom we are in daily touch, and by becoming aware to what an extent the finer nature imprisoned in them is dependent for its release upon our exertions. The appeal of the God in our neighbor is the substitute for the appeal in prayer to the God in heaven. The call of the stifled spiritual nature in the men and women at our side is to draw out of us our utmost latent force, the strengths underneath the strength. What I hear in Adler's words is almost an invitation to pray to each other, The idea that prayer changes the nature of our relationships with each other. But to the deepest parts of each other, to our deepest selves. I might add to the deepest selves within ourselves as well. 
It's as good a description as any of the kind of prayer that resonates for me. A few weeks ago, I shared a poem from Howard Thurman, and the words have stayed with me, how good it is to center down, to center down, to be quiet, to listen, to say thanks, wow, help. In this room, we might have all kinds of ideas about what an object of prayer would look like, what a something could be. Perhaps God or the universe, our own selves, each other, the non-existent God that the praying atheist prays to every day, the quiet stillness within. So whether you are one of those who whispers to me quietly, you know, I pray sometimes, or whether you are still figuring out how to not be annoyed when someone tells you that they are praying for you, or whether you just say wow a lot and you don't really think that's a prayer, but you want to keep on saying it, well, that's okay. Help. Thanks. Wow.